Welcome to the World War I History Podcast, produced by the MacArthur Memorial, a museum and research center dedicated to preserving and presenting the history of General Douglas MacArthur, which includes the story of World War I and that of the millions of men and women who served in that war. The 93rd Division in the Great War In April 1917, the United States entered World War I. At the time, the U.S. Army and National Guard numbered roughly 200,000 troops. This was not enough. General John J. Pershing, commander of the American Expeditionary Force, believed that the United States would need an army of millions to make an impact on the battlefields of Europe. While many men volunteered for service, a draft was also put in place to help increase the size of the army. In May 1917, this draft called for males between the ages of 21 and 31 to register. 23,779,997 men registered. 2,290,527 were African American. This presented a problem few had considered. In 1917, the U.S. Army was segregated. As African-American volunteers and conscripts entered service, the Army didn't know where to put them. They couldn't join white regiments, and at the time, there were only four black regiments in the regular Army. War mobilization plans included no black combat divisions, so the Army initially began organizing African-Americans into provisional, unarmed labor units. This proved unacceptable to African-American leaders. These leaders were largely supportive of the war effort because they believed a show of patriotism and sacrifice would benefit the quest for civil rights. They wanted black soldiers to serve in combat to prove in the most difficult arena that black soldiers were competent, brave, and loyal citizens, entitled to full enfranchisement in the nation they had so honorably served. The concerns of these leaders reached Secretary of War Newton Baker. With so many troops needed for service, supply, and combat, the Army could not risk alienating the African-American community. Secretary of War Baker ultimately ordered the creation of two black combat divisions. One of these was the 93rd Division. This combat designation, however, was no guarantee that the 93rd would actually see combat. As they were constituted, the 93rd's infantry regiments, the 369th, the 370th, the 371st, and the 372nd, faced a number of challenges. In fact, the 93rd Division would never even be a complete division during World War I. With the exception of these four regiments, there were no other support elements. As such, it was difficult to imagine a scenario in which the 93rd's regiments would ever see combat. The 369th was originally the 15th New York Regiment, organized in 1916. When the war started, the men of the 15th New York were put to work guarding German internees and industrial plants. For the officers and men of the 15th, however, this was not how they wanted to spend the war. William Hayward, the regiment's colonel, worked to get the 15th assigned to a division going overseas. On hearing that the 29th Division, made up of primarily New York National Guard units, was going to parade down Fifth Avenue before departing for France, he asked permission for the 15th to join. This was refused. Later, when he found out that the 42nd Rainbow Division was going to parade down Fifth Avenue on their way to France, he asked permission for the 15th to be assigned to the Rainbow Division. Again, this request was rebuffed, and he was curtly informed 
Black is not one of the colors of the rainbow. Colonel Hayward persisted, however, and in October 1917, the 15th New York was sent to Camp Wadsworth in South Carolina to prepare for overseas service. Residents of the nearby city of Spartansburg were not happy to have black soldiers stationed nearby. Their hostility to the soldiers was exacerbated by the Camp Logan riot. Months earlier, in August of 1917, a black soldier of the 24th Infantry Regiment, stationed in Houston, Texas, had tried to stop a Houston police officer from beating a black woman. He was pistol-whipped and arrested. A soldier sent to find him was also pistol-whipped, and then pistol-whipped a second time after he escaped custody but was recaptured. Within the 24th Regiment, a rumor spread that one of the black soldiers had been killed. The men of the 3rd Battalion armed themselves and went into the city to find their missing comrades. A gun battle followed. When it was over, 12 civilians, 5 police officers, 2 black soldiers, and 1 white officer were dead. This incident made cities around the United States wary of having black units stationed nearby. Aware of this incident and the general hostility to black troops, Colonel Hayward explained to his soldiers that they would likely be treated badly, but that they must walk away from all confrontations. For the most part, the men of the 15th New York demonstrated remarkable restraint and followed his advice. On a few occasions, their poor treatment by civilians actually led white troops, also training in the area, to defend them. In the end, however, Colonel Hayward was forced to intervene in one incident, stopping what many people believed was a potential sequel to the Camp Logan riot. The Army quickly realized that, good behavior aside, the provocation of the soldiers of the 15th New York was likely to continue. On the grounds that the 15th New York had demonstrated remarkable discipline in the face of such difficulties, the Army declared the unit ready for overseas service early. Two weeks after arriving in South Carolina, the regiment was sent back to New York to prepare to sail for France. The experiences of the other three regiments were somewhat familiar. Training was often abbreviated due to the hostility of local communities, and the regiments were more likely than white units to be tapped for labor and supply duty. The 8th Illinois Infantry Regiment, later designated the 370th Infantry Regiment, mobilized in 1916 to patrol the border with Mexico. It had just returned to Illinois when it was mobilized for service in World War I. The regiment was sent for training at Camp Logan in Texas, where the riot had earlier occurred. Like the 15th New York, the 8th Illinois was prematurely certified for overseas service primarily as a way to remove it from a hostile area and appease the local population. The 371st Infantry Regiment was constituted on December 1, 1917. It was made up of the South Carolina-based 1st Provisional Infantry Regiment, a unit primarily made up of black conscripts being called up for service. The 372nd Infantry Regiment was constituted in January 1918 at Camp Stewart, Virginia. This unit was made up of National Guard units from Ohio, Connecticut, Maryland, Massachusetts, Tennessee, and the District of Columbia. Despite the difficulties of training and formation, against all odds the regiments of the 93rd Division were ordered to France. Between January and April 1918, the regiments of the 93rd Division arrived in France. They were quickly singled out for labor and supply duties, and to guard German prisoners of war. 
The commanders of some of these regiments, along with African American leaders on the home front, continued to lobby to have these troops used in combat. Around this time, there was also pressure to place American troops under the command of British and French officers. Despite this pressure, since 1917, President Woodrow Wilson, Secretary of War Newton Baker, and General Pershing had all been adamant that American troops would fight abroad under the direct command of American leadership. There were a few exceptions to this, but for the most part, it was upheld. Pershing himself commented that no people with a grain of national pride would consent to furnish men to build up the army of another nation. And yet, the pressure to pacify the European allies intensified. French commander Ferdinand Foch was particularly vocal about wanting American troops. While American leaders did not want or trust black combat troops, the French army did not have any qualms about such troops. For the last three and a half years, the French army had included 340,000 North Africans, 250,000 troops from Senegal and the Sudan, and 30,000 troops from the West Indies. There were even two black generals in the French army at this time. Bottom line: the French army was desperate for manpower. It had no institutional or cultural bias against black soldiers, and it appreciated the value of fresh, healthy troops. In light of this, the 93rd Division seemed to present the U.S. military with a diplomatic solution. In the spring of 1918, General Pershing obliged Foch and gave the four combat infantry regiments of the 93rd Division to the French Army. Some of the regiments did not even find out that they had been loaned to the French Army until French officers boarded their transport trains and informed them of this fact. Realizing that this meant combat and not service and supply duty, most of the officers and men of the different regiments were pleased, if a little wary, of this new arrangement. Starting with the 369th Infantry Regiment, all the regiments of the 93rd began training with their French counterparts. Differences of language had to be overcome, and quickly. Differences in equipment also had to be sorted out. Each regiment turned in the majority of its American gear and then received French gear, including the French Adrian helmet. The Adrian helmet would later feature on the patch of the 93rd Division as a tribute to this period in the division's history. The soldiers also preferred their new French gas masks to the American and British ones they had originally been issued. Their new rations were less familiar, but had some perks. Although the French rations were more carb-heavy than the protein-heavy American rations, the men did enjoy the liter of wine in the French rations before it was taken away from them. They also continued to be paid by the U.S. Army, which meant their pay was substantially higher than that of their French counterparts. One of the only downsides seemed to be the switch from the Springfield 1903 to the French Lebel rifles. Throughout the war, the combat regiments of the 93rd Division would be transferred again and again to different French units or sectors wherever they were needed. As a result, they saw combat in a number of campaigns, from standard trench warfare to elastic defense to the Allied counteroffensive at the end of the war. They also tended to fight separately from each other. Despite the difficulties this isolation entailed, the regiments of the 93rd Division acquitted themselves well and earned high praise from their French commanders. Colonel Hayward of the 369th recalled remarking sarcastically to a French colonel that the army had dumped the 369th on the doorstep of the French army like an unwanted orphan in a basket. 
The French colonel was not troubled by this and remarked in a heavy accent, Welcome, little black baby. And indeed, the regiments of the 93rd Division were very welcome additions to the French army. In early May 1918, the 369th Infantry Regiment was assigned to the French 16th Division. Between May 12th and 13th, Sergeant Henry Johnson, a man who had been a red cap porter for the New York Central Railway before the war, was on guard duty with Private Needham Roberts in a forward listening post. About two dozen German soldiers in a raiding party began approaching their lines. Johnson called out to alert his fellow soldiers and then with Needham began throwing grenades at the Germans. A German potato masher grenade landed in the observation post and wounded both men. Johnson was able to hop up and fire at the three Germans, who tried to enter the post. When he turned to check on Roberts, he saw more German soldiers trying to drag Roberts out of the post. He attacked these men with his knife. At one point, he was shot by a German officer several times. In the end, he fought off more than a dozen attackers. When help arrived, he was barely conscious, but he had prevented Roberts from being taken as a prisoner of war. When his commander seemed shaken by how severely he was wounded, Johnson reassured him, I'm all right, I've been shot before. Johnson survived and was nicknamed Black Death because of his ability to fight off so many attackers. Impressed, the French awarded Johnson the Croix de Guerre with Palm for Gallantry. It was the first such award to an American soldier in World War I. In 2002, Johnson was posthumously awarded the Distinguished Service Cross. In 2015, he was posthumously awarded the Medal of Honor. The 369th then saw combat in the Second Battle of the Marne, and then participated in the Allied counterattack that followed the crumbling of the German Army's last offensive. In October 1918, the regiment was sent to a sector in the Vosges Mountains. By war's end, the 369th had participated in the Champagne, Marne, Meuse-Argonne, and Alsace campaigns, and had experienced a total of 191 days in combat. Their German opponents nicknamed them the Hellfighters, and with many of the men being from Harlem, soon they were known as the Harlem Hellfighters. To the French, they were known as the Men of Bronze. The regiment returned to the United States in February 1919, but not before the regimental band of the 369th had introduced the people of France to jazz. Denied goodbye parades in 1917, on its return to the United States, the 369th marched in a parade in New York City. Despite this, the honors of the unit did little to further enfranchise African Americans. Tragically, the hero of the regiment, Sergeant Henry Johnson, died in poverty in 1929. Like the 369th, the 370th saw some action in most of the major sectors and battlefields of the war, with the French 73rd, 10th, 34th, and 36th Divisions. Unlike its sister regiments, however, the 370th was the only one primarily commanded by black officers. The colonel of the regiment was Franklin A. Dennison. When he was replaced early in the war by a white officer, the 370th Lieutenant Colonel Otis B. Duncan became the highest-ranking African-American officer in the American Expeditionary Force. During the war, Lieutenant Colonel Duncan was awarded the French Croix de Guerre and later the Purple Heart. After some training in France, the 370th entered the trenches in the Saint-Mihel sector. 
In July 1918, the regiment was moved to the Argonne Forest. After a brief period of rest, the 370th was then sent to the Soissons sector. During the fighting in this sector, Company F, under the command of Sergeant Matthew Jenkins, captured a fortified enemy position and held it for a day with no supplies until reinforcements arrived to help secure the position. Sergeant Jenkins received the French Croix de Guerre and later the American Distinguished Service Cross. Following this, the 370th was moved to the Wazane Canal, where it saw more action. On November 7th, Captain James H. Smith of Company C drove a group of German soldiers with two machine guns and several artillery pieces from the position they were defending. In a rare occurrence, the French Croix de Guerre with Palm was awarded to the entire company. By the end of the war, the regiment was pursuing German troops retreating through Belgium. The 370th had suffered a loss of 96 men, but it had also earned high honors. There had been 71 awards of the Croix de Guerre, 21 American Distinguished Service Crosses, often the highest honor an African-American could receive, and one Distinguished Service Medal. The 370th returned to Chicago in February 1919. The first Illinois-based unit to return, the men returned to a joyous welcome and streets lined by 400,000 people. It was a grand welcome, but a hero's welcome did not necessarily mean change. That summer, as a heat wave spread across the region, Chicago was the scene of deadly race riots. It was so bad that National Guard troops, not those of the 8th Illinois, had to be brought in to secure the region. The 371st served with the French 157th Division, also known as the Red Hand Division. At Verdun in 1916, the 157th Division had held the line against a devastating German assault. The division suffered so many losses that it was temporarily deactivated after Verdun so it could be reorganized. The addition of the American 371st Regiment greatly added to the combat effectiveness of the French 157th. In June 1918, the 371st entered the trenches northwest of Verdun. For the next three months, they perfected their understanding of trench warfare. In September 1918, they played a role in the Champagne Offensive. Company C, 1st Battalion, of the 371st, played a leading role in the capture of Cote 188. On September 28, 1918, Company C was advancing up the hill. Progress was slow due to the fortified German positions on the hill. At one point, some of the German defenders indicated their intention to surrender. Company C drew close to their positions, expecting a surrender. Instead, the Germans opened fire, mowing down half the company, including a lieutenant and the NCOs of one platoon. Without missing a beat, Corporal Freddy Stowers of the devastated platoon took charge of the other men and led them in an action that captured the German position. Not stopping there, Stowers then led the way to a second German position. As he was leading the charge, he was shot. He got up, kept going, and was shot again. Collapsing due to blood loss, he told the men of his platoon to continue on. Stowers died, but Coat 188 was captured. The French awarded the entire 371st the Croix de Guerre with Palm. At the time, Corporal Stowers was recommended for the Medal of Honor. For some reason, the paperwork associated with this recommendation was not processed. In 1990, the paperwork was reviewed by the U.S. Army, and on April 24, 1991, Stowers was posthumously awarded the Medal of Honor. 
The review of his case led to a broader U.S. Army study of the records of other minority soldiers. To date for its service in World War I, the 371st boasts 123 individual awards of the Croix de Guerre, three awards of the Legion of Honor, 26 Distinguished Service Crosses, and one Medal of Honor. A monument to the 371st was raised in France after World War I. During World War II, this monument was badly damaged by German artillery fire. Although damaged, the monument remains to this day a testament to the service of the 371st. Like the 371st Regiment, the 372nd Regiment was also attached to the French 157th Red Hand Division. After some brief training, in late May the regiment was given a sector in the Argonne. In June they were given a sector west of Verdun, the famous Cote 304. In July 1918, the regiment's colonel was replaced by Colonel Herschel Toops. Toops believed that black officers were incompetent and quickly moved to replace the black officers of the 372nd with white officers. These transfers happened while the regiment was again being ordered into combat and did little to help the morale of the regiment. By the time the transfers were complete, the only black officers left were the two chaplains and two dentists. The new officers were largely straight out of training. The French general in charge of the Red Hand Division was troubled by these seemingly needless modifications and throughout the rest of the war made a point of sending messages praising the conduct of the men of the 372nd to General Pershing's headquarters in France. In late September, the regiment participated in a drive in the Champagne sector. This offensive was the start of the last great Allied offensive of the war. From September 28th through October 7th, the 372nd was engaged in fierce fighting. Following this, the regiment was moved to the Vosges sector, where it ended the war. At the end of the war, as the regiment was preparing to return to America, in a ceremony in front of thousands of Frenchmen, the 372nd was presented the French Croix de Guerre with palm by a French admiral, in recognition of their brave service in the Champagne campaign earlier in the war. After the war, some veterans of the 372nd formed a basketball team based in Springfield, Ohio. The team was nicknamed the Bloody Hand, and their logo was a red hand inside of an oval, a tribute to their own service in World War I and to the comradeship of the French 157th. By February 1919, the regiments of the 93rd Division had returned to the United States where they were disbanded or returned to state control. 29.7% of the force had been killed or wounded in combat. The combined combat record of the regiment was particularly impressive. To date, the awards of the 93rd are as follows. Three awards of the Medal of Honor, 75 Distinguished Service Crosses, three Distinguished Service Medals, 527 awards of the Croix de Guerre, three awards of the Médaille Militaire, four awards of the Legion of Honor, and one Italian Military Cross. It is possible that over the next decades, as some records are re-examined, some of these awards may be upgraded, or that new awards could be posthumously granted to the men of the 93rd. While the service of the men of the 93rd did not result in many of the changes they hoped to see in the United States, their service was distinguished. Institutions may have had a short memory of their competence and value, but as in other wars throughout American history, 
In the leveling environment of the battlefield, African-American soldiers demonstrated great courage and loyalty to America and to America's greatest ideals. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, suggestions, or comments, please contact Amanda Williams at amanda.williams at norfolk.gov.